I like that, uh, I like that phrase that we sang, sang in the song a few moments ago. I'm happy as a bird. <clears throat> now, as a guy who was a biological science major in college, I'm thinking, well, we tend to think that when birds sing, they're happy. That's not really the case necessarily. But it sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Those birds sing up. There's a, right outside my office window, there are house finches that are nesting in that um, Albertine spruce. Thank you. And um, so I get to hear them being happy every day. It's pretty encouraging. How many of you remember uh, the comic strip or even the television series Dennis the Menace? Remember Dennis? There was a movie made about Dennis um, in 1993. And I want want you to see a clip from that movie in just a minute. But let me kind of set the stage for you. At this point in the movie... Both of Dennis's parents have, have to be out of town on business trips. <clears throat> and because of Dennis' penchant for mischief, they have not been able to find anyone willing to babysit. So they asked next-door neighbors George and Martha Wilson to watch Dennis while they're gone. <clears throat> the Wilsons are hosting a party for the garden club and have seated Dennis away from the guests to keep him out of trouble. Let's see how well that worked. not arrive. Nope. Hi, George. This is an important event for me, Dennis. I know. I uh, don't want any nonsense. You mind whatever manners you have and don't make a pest of yourself. Okay. <laughs> don't embarrass me. On behalf of the Garden Club Selection Committee, we would like to present George Wilson with this beautiful, um, what's that say? Plague? What does that mean? Hey, here, let me have your glasses. Well, no, I don't know. Oh, flag! Come on up, George. Thank you. I am honored. I will cherish this forever. 
Forty years ago, when I started this garden, I planted a seed. From that tiny seed grew this grand plant. Tonight, the first and only time in its entire life it will blossom. As we await this glorious moment, Martha and I invite you to have some dessert and coffee with us. Obviously, Dennis didn't realize what would happen when he pushed the button of the garage door opener. <laughs> Have you ever made a decision to do something without realizing that there would be unintended consequences to your actions? We've all been there, haven't we? One preacher said, the devil will do anything to defeat God's children. He is always looking for potential defectors. There's a strong lesson at AI for all of us. Don't take God for granted. Don't presume to get away with sin. Be sure your sin will find you out and you will have some serious consequences for you, your family, your friends, and even your church. And obviously what Dennis did here, even though he didn't realize what would happen when he pushed that button, had consequences for everybody at the party, didn't it? In chapter 6, verses 15 through 19, which Gail read for us earlier, Joshua gives explicit commands that Israel was not to take away any of the plunder from Jericho. It was to be devoted to God. The spoils of Jericho were the first fruits of the land of Canaan. Do you understand that concept? You know, the, the Jews used to celebrate the first fruits. It was... You know, the, the harvest had come. It had been a long winter. Supplies were running low. But when the harvest came in, they were supposed to take the first of the harvest and offer that to God as the first fruits. And so now, now they're entering the land of Canaan. We know there will be other cities to conquer and other plunder to be had. But this was devoted to God as the first fruits of what they would take from the land of Canaan. The problem was not all of Israel obeyed the law of devoted things. And though Israel could not be defeated by the Canaanites, they could defeat themselves by alienating themselves from God's plan and power through their own sin. And as he had done at Jericho, now as we kind of look at this whole story, Joshua sent spies to check out the situation at Ai. Their recommendation after spying out the city was, well, you'll only need two or three thousand men for this one. Um, 
And whether this was a response to faith in God or kind of overconfidence after what had happened at Jericho, in the end, it didn't matter. See, in their disobedience, they could have sent out the entire army and it would have made no difference. Israel's success depended on obedience to God. He, in a sense, had to be their conqueror before they could conquer others. And Achan's sin showed that in that respect, not all were conquered by God, and therefore Israel was open to defeat. Now Joshua, who was a wise military leader, commands the larger number recommended, two or three thousand. He commands three thousand to be sent against Ai. But it makes no difference. Israel suffers a puzzling defeat. See, they were put to flight and 36 men were killed. That was 36 more than had been killed at Jericho, a much larger and stronger city. No lives lost. No Israelite lives lost at Jericho. And from a military standpoint, the number of dead was small. But what it meant to Israel was staggering. What mattered in this situation really was not the strength of the opponent, but the fact that they did not now have the help of God. Without His help, all would be lost. So the people of Israel had great reason for fear. The response of of panic was completely logical at this point. If God did not fight for them, they could expect defeat after defeat after defeat. So Joshua, after seeing what happened at Ai and learning about the loss of these men, goes before the Lord, fearing that it was unfaithfulness somehow on God's part that had caused this defeat. So he tears his clothes and he he puts dust on his head, which are both significant of mourning. And it wasn't wasn't only mourning for the 36 lives that had been lost, but also in his mind for the loss of God's blessing and guidance. God's left us. And listen, neither God nor Joshua were going to take this defeat in stride. There was no win a few, lose a few mentality at work here. Every battle mattered. And there was always a reason for either victory or defeat. See, it doesn't just happen. Joshua realizes that if God's hand of power and guidance is not there, it would be better if they had not come to the land of Canaan at all. If God would not faithfully fight for them, all would be lost. And so in verses 10 through 12 today, of chapter 7 that was read for us earlier, God reveals to Joshua why Israel had suffered defeat. And let me read that with you again. Joshua chapter 7 verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. 
They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Ow! And did you notice um, what God said here? Look at verse 11, first phrase. He didn't say, uh, one guy among you sinned. He didn't say Achan sinned. He said, Israel has sinned. It's kind of staggering to think that the whole nation was found guilty and 36 men were dead, all for the sin of one man among them. You know, God's purpose for us is to live lives of victory. But he does not take away our ability to choose good or evil, obedience or disobedience. We always have that choice. He does, however, make it possible for us not to sin. He does, however, make it possible for us not to sin. It's it's His indwelling presence through the Holy Spirit that gives us victory and power over sin. Israel chose to sin, but they didn't have to. And now they're dealing with the consequences of that choice. You know, are we ever tempted to think that sin in our lives is somehow self-contained? Do you think that your sin only affects you or that my sin only affects me? You know, sin always has ripple effects that go well beyond the one committing the sin. And we see this principle in Scripture from... Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, the first part of that verse says, a greedy, the greedy bring ruin to their households. Not just to themselves, but to their households. Uh, on, on Wednesday nights, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians in the men's Bible study group. And here's a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 13. Paul says, your boasting is not good. What's happened is there's been some sexual sin in the church that has not been dealt with. In fact, Paul says, you're you're even proud of what's going on here. And so he says in verse 5, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? The little sin can impact the whole body? And then down in verse 13, he goes on to say, God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. Deal with this sin problem. Sin tolerated in our lives or among believers can have a contagious and detrimental effect on the entire body. What's difficult about that in the world we live in is the whole issue of dealing with things like that. The idea of church discipline is kind of flown out the window in the world we live in. It's unloving. It's judgmental. 
And yet we see in this passage, as we move along, that there was some definite action that was to be taken to deal with this issue of sin that had caused so many problems already among the people of Israel. Well, the consequence now for Israel, because of what Achan had done, they had no power before their enemies. Israel could not fight in God's power when they were disobedient to him. Israel was under covenant with God. It it was pretty straightforward. God promises blessing for obedience and curses for disobedience. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And and, and we see again in this passage, and we'll talk more about it a little later, but the consequences were pretty grave for disobedience in this case. Aren't you glad for Jesus and that we live under a covenant of grace? Ooh. Our relationship with, with God is made through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, not because of our own works. It's what Jesus has done for us and in us. Yet if we want the enabling power of God for our own battles and those we face as a church body, we must walk in obedient relationship with him. That has not changed, folks. This relationship is hindered by sin or rebellion. God cannot bless disobedience. You know, our our fellowship with God is hindered by our own sin. And fellowship with God is the connection through which we live in the life and power of the Holy Spirit. I remember a, a pastor talking one time, um, you know, about God's work and power in our lives as being like a pipeline. I remember when I was a kid, um, growing up in southwest Idaho, we irrigated. There were irrigation, irrigation ditches all over the place. And, you know, especially in the spring when the water first starts coming into the ditches, you know, get a lot of stuff floating along, weeds and sticks and trash. And there are places where that, that water would have to flow through pipelines, maybe under roads or something, and that stuff would get in there and block the flow of the water sometimes. And that's what happens when we tolerate sin in our lives. It blocks the flow of God's power and guides in our lives because we've been disobedient. It hinders His work. I think it's discomforting to realize that people living with sin have no power for their en- before their enemies, just like Israel had no power before their enemies at Ai. Interesting that they kind of took this place lightly, thinking, we've got this one. This is nothing like Jericho. We've got this one. And God woke them up pretty quickly, didn't he? And so when we tolerate tolerate sin in our lives, we have a tendency to bring trouble on ourselves and on others. Did you know that uh, as as, uh, Gail was reading this this morning, he talked about this thing was done in the valley of Achor. When we get to the place where 
where Achan is judged, it happens in the valley of Achor. Achan's name is actually a, a variation of Achor. Achor means trouble. Maybe that's the first guy they should have gone to when they found out there was a problem. Where's the guy named Trouble? And, and Joshua confronts Achan and when he says, Why have you brought trouble on us? And Achan's sin had brought trouble, as unintended as it might have been on Israel and on Achan and, and on his entire family. And isn't it wonderful to know that because of Jesus, one's sin is confessed and forgiven, God's power and blessing can once again flow in our lives. He's made that opportunity for us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when God is dealing with a, 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 a sin in our lives and we resist it, it is, it is His mercy that causes us to fail in battle. I'm not sure we think of it that way. I mean, we have a tendency to say, Oh God, how come that happened to me? But the great thing about that is it's a red flag. It gets our attention. It helps bring us to that which is at the root of our defeat. Why, why did we lose this particular battle? And, and God allowed us to lose it so that He could get our attention, call us to the fact that there's something in your life that needs to be dealt with. And as is generally the rule, and I wish this wasn't true of humanity, but it is, we are most open to God when we have suffered failure or defeat. You know when those happy birds are singing and the roses smell good? We're great. Sometimes God kind of gets shoved to the back. We don't need Him. But listen, when life hits the skids, when we've suffered failure, defeat, suddenly God becomes a lot more important in our lives. We realize how much we need Him. And He uses those things in our lives to get our attention. See, when the birds are singing and the roses are are blooming and smelling good, we are our greatest risk because we have a tendency to think that we're winning our battles because of our own self-reliance. And I think God made that pretty apparent to Joshua and the people of Israel that that wasn't the case. It wasn't them. It was Him. So, judgment is past. Achan's sin, we find out, cost him everything. Literally everything. Though the identity of the sinning family was unknown to Joshua, God knew who it was. See, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. God knows everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. And so God exposes the identity of the family head who had sinned. Can you imagine how incredibly humiliating this was for Achan and his family? I can only imagine what he was feeling as the lots were cast and the elimination process began to take place, narrowing it down from tribe to family to... And I'm sure that by this time, he was wishing he had never taken those things. 
Think of the regret he must have been feeling at this point, knowing that his sinful choice had cost the lives of 36 of his countrymen and would now lead to dire consequences for him and for his family. Well, sin does have its fleeting pleasures. Taking those things might have made Achan feel like he was pretty rich for a little while. But the penalty for his sin soon outweighed any pleasure he might have found in the possession of those things. How much better to simply walk with God in obedience? Well, we know the elimination process did come down to Achan. And Joshua confronts him and he confesses, yes, I did these things. And measured against the lives of 36 lost and the welfare of the nation, what Achan gained by hiding those things away was pretty insignificant, or what he hoped to gain by hiding those things away. And that's so true of sin. What it delivers falls incredibly short of what it promises. And so the judgment pronounced by God in verse 15, and let me read that for you again, chapter 7, verse 15. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. And so the judgment pronounced in that verse is now executed on Achan and his family. What a terrible price to pay. By the way, it tells us that his children died with him. Now, um, the, the execution of children for the sins of their fathers is prohibited in Deuteronomy 24.16. So what's apparent here is that Achan's children knew of what Achan had done and hid it along with their father and possibly condoned that. And so they suffered the penalty with him. Yet even such grievous sin, when it is dealt with, can lead to victory. For victory over Ai was now in store for them. The sin had been dealt with. In fact, that's what the burning was about. That was the cleansing process, the cleansing of sin from among the people. And so that has been dealt with. And now there is in store for Israel victory over Ai. But such victory only comes after death. Think about that. Thank God that Jesus suffered for our sins and that we live under the covenant of grace. Victory came after death for us. And what we are called to do is die to our sin knowing that those who are in Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 say this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh 
from the flesh will reap destruction. Did you see that fulfilled in the situation of Achan and his family? But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we sow obedience to God and His commands and His leadership in our lives so that we can reap the reward of eternal life and avoid the consequences that sin can bring to ourselves and to others in our family, in the church body, because of the sinful choices that we might make. I want at this point this morning just to move right into the celebration of communion. And before we do that, just a couple of things I want to share with you. First of all, you do not need to be a member of our church to partake of communion. And once you've received the elements, please hold them and we will partake together. In this story, Achan died for his sin. Jesus died for our sins. 